Hey, football fans, it is officially fall and it is officially football season. And DraftKings Sportsbook is an official sports betting partner of the NFL. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app today and use code SOS for a special offer when you sign up. That's code SOS only at DraftKings Sportsbook. up sons and daughters it's sam jesse back with the full crew from the locks of saturday robert brett mike chris and ed guys week four it is officially autumn it is officially autumn it is officially football season pumpkin spice lattes are back the leaves are gonna start changing in a few weeks here guys really exciting how are we feeling i'm on absolutely oh go ahead I'm I was going to say, got the uh, the pumpkin beer ready here. I'm I'm feeling the vibes. All I know Hello, is... Hello, darkness, I'm my old friend. <laughs> Hokie football sucks again. Yeah. We'll talk plenty of Hokies football today. A little bit different, um, you know, a little bit different look on the podcast today. We're going to talk some betting trends overall with Virginia Tech, kind of looking at the program from a, a better's point of view, looking to the Richmond game a little bit, and then hit on some of the big games around the country this week, as well as some other games that we have on our card. But yes, Hokie fans have had a tough, tough week. And we've seen that on Twitter. And speaking of Twitter, guys, hit up our Twitter account at Locks of Saturday. We are resurrecting our Twitter account. Uh, that's where you can go. We'll be as active on there as we possibly can. Uh, get us a bunch of Twitter followers. Brett is going to be taking care of that Twitter account. And uh Brett might have to watch some Kansas Duke football this weekend. There's no might. I have to. I said if we got to 100 followers by Saturday, and we broke that in like two hours, I will be live tweeting the whole Kansas Duke game. Uh, should be interesting. Game of the century. Now, I will say now, I'm thinking – drop my phone. I'm thinking about doing something from action. So if you want to keep getting followers or giving us followers uh, – you might see something special for Maction coming up in a month and a half. I can't wait. November second is the first day of Maction, I believe, and I mean that's when right. that's when the season really starts. If we're being honest, it's when money is won and lost in the middle of the work <laughs> week. So. Oh man, cannot wait! And we've been, you know, so blessed. Thank everyone so much for all the interaction, all the listeners this this season. It's it's truly been amazing. Uh, without you guys, we couldn't get any of this done. Let's take the vibes down a little bit to start. I'm sorry about that, guys. We're going to look at some Virginia Tech betting trends. I wanted to look at this as more of a, you know, we can talk about the program and the X's and O's and stuff, but this is a gambling podcast. It's about sports betting. So let's look at Virginia Tech through the eyes of a sports better. We have five bullet points here of Virginia Tech betting trends. Bullet number one, and this, this one is, I, I'll take over. This one, my name's next to it on the Google Doc here, and it's kind of shocking, actually. Since 2018, Virginia Tech is 18 and 19 straight up. Just 18 and 19, no spreads, no nothing. 18 and 19 versus FBS opponents since 2018. 
that is a win percentage of about 48 and a half percent. And I understand with 2020 and COVID and with all this stuff, but the question that this asks me, right, is do I trust Virginia Tech to go out there and win games against FBS opponents straight up? 18 and 19 doesn't give me a lot of faith in this program to go out there and win football games. Now, Virginia Tech, you can talk, oh, it's because of, you know, recruiting or it's because, you know, coaching, they didn't have their guys and they had injuries and stuff like that. And, oh, you know, they've had to play Clemson and Notre Dame a fair bit more than other ACC teams have. Justin Fuente said in the offseason multiple times, he wants this to be the best developmental program in the country. Correct. That's that's a that's a thing. That's a quote he said. Yeah, he also said that we have one of the best passing offenses that he feels like we've had since he got here. Oh, we'll get into that. We'll get into that. But if you're looking, I wanted to look across the country. It's like, all right, what are other developmental programs doing? And I think this is a really good exercise to gauge because if I'm looking against like, oh, what's Alabama and Florida doing? Well, of course, they're going to win more football games. They're better football teams. Let's look at other developmental programs. So I found what I consider six programs that I would call developmental as in they don't recruit top 10 classes, but they coach well and they get good results. Starting out West, Washington, they do recruit a little bit better than Virginia Tech, but in terms of money, in terms of fan engagement, in terms of all that, they're very similar to Virginia Tech, actually. Washington is 20 and 11 versus FBS teams since 2018. That's a 64% win percentage. All right. Another developmental program, middle of the country, Oklahoma State. 23 and 14 since 2018. That's 62%. Moving into one of the classic developmental programs, Wisconsin. They're 23 and 13 since 2018. 64%. Iowa, who's having a great season this year, 27 and 9 since 2018. Again, these are all FBS teams, cutting out all of the FCS games. That's 75% win percentage. All right, let's move down to TCU. A lot of TCU connections with this Virginia Tech staff. TCU is 17 and 17. That's 50%. And then good old rival from the Big East, Pittsburgh. Talk about a team that doesn't get big time recruits, but creates NFL talent. Pittsburgh is 20 and 18 versus FBS team since 2018. That's 53%. Again, Virginia Tech is at 18 and 19, 48%. That tells me right now, Virginia Tech, if they want to be a developmental program, they are. And they're a decent one, but they're a tier two developmental program right now. They're not in the top tier of the developmental teams. They're more in line with Pittsburgh and TCU than they are with Washington, Oklahoma State, Wisconsin, and Iowa. And it's by a significant margin. And then you even look at that and say, hey, Wisconsin didn't have a great season, obviously with COVID, didn't have a great season last year. Washington has struggled more than they have in about a decade and a half recently. Oklahoma State, they're not getting the 10-win seasons that they're accustomed to either. Virginia Tech is clearly a tier two developmental program right now. And that is something that I think needs to be said before we can get into how do you become the best developmental program? Because right now for Virginia Tech, it's not about being the best developmental program. It's being one of the better developmental programs is the next step for this program. Any, any thoughts on that? Anything that surprised you? Ed has his hand raised. He's ready to go. Yeah, I, I would just like, I mean, I don't disagree with the point you're trying to make there, but can we be honest for a second? Iowa and Wisconsin are both over the course of history, better programs than Virginia tech. 
And especially in the last however many years, they have have had significantly better resources. I would have to do more digging into Washington. I know they don't have as much of a history as Virginia Tech does, but Iowa and Wisconsin are probably better at a minimum the same as Virginia Tech historically. Um, the rest of those, I completely agree with you. My point on how we need to get to the next level of developmental is, yeah, you can't be, you can't call yourself a developmental program when you can't develop anyone and your best players, your most explosive players were either from the prior staff or have come in via the transfer portal, uh, i.e. Khalil Herbert and Raheem Blackshear. So yes, I completely agree that the developmental thing, while a great idea in theory, is a, has been a complete joke. And I think that is largely on the offensive side of the ball, which Fuente is supposed to be an offensive coach. Uh, the development in the running back room, suspect at best, wide receiver room, pretty terrible. And don't even get me started in the quarterback room where, you know, three of the quarterbacks under Justin Fuente have come via the transfer portal. Um, but I, I will say, I think Iowa and Wisconsin, those are pretty legitimate programs over the course of history. So it's kind of hard to compare to them. Um, but the point still stands. The development is not there. I'll take it even a step further. I think the issue from a developmental standpoint, if you look at in general, the talent that Virginia Tech's developed under this staff, the staff does a very good job at identifying players that are overlooked out of high school and developing them into competent football players on the field. They do a very good job at that. What they struggle with is taking the high-end three-star to four-star guy and elevating him to a high four-star, low five-star level. Now, there are a handful of occasions where guys burst out onto the scene. They end up being a lot better than expected. Christian Darrisaw is the highlight story because he was a, a guy who did a year at Fork Union and he came in and he ends up being a first-round draft pick. Caleb Farley, a guy who tore his ACL when he was a freshman. They didn't know if they were going to play him on offense or defense, and they struggled. He had a very good game against Florida State in 2018. But they developed into a first-round NFL draft pick. So there are occasions where Virginia Tech takes a, a mid-to-high three-star and develops him, right? And in a lot of cases, a low three-star and develops him into a very competent football player. Virginia Tech needs to take, with this coaching staff, if they want to stay here long-term, they need to take the high-end player that they recruit, the four-star caliber player, and develop them into a very good football player, both for Virginia Tech and in the ACC. A good example on the current offense, real quick, Trey Turner. He was a four-star receiver at North Carolina. Everybody loves big play Trey, right? He is a 500-yard receiver at Virginia Tech. That's all he's done his entire career. So he's had flashes. He's been good, but he hasn't been able to put it together. He's just like one example. I'm not picking on Trey Turner, but he's just one example of a high-end player that Virginia Tech hasn't been able to unlock to bring to the next level. And I think that's a great job of tying in kind of what I was saying and what Ed was saying too, is like Wisconsin and Iowa are two programs that have uh, taken that next step with those high three-star, low four-star uh Wisconsin is a little bit different because their offensive line is basically entirely blue chip recruits and <laughs> people don't talk about that. But uh, yeah, you know, they tier two in developmental tier two. And I think for a betting sense, it, it's, you have to look at this team and say they're, they have more toss up games than you would like for a program of this stature. Ed round us out with this one. And then Chris is going to have his moment in sunshine. I'm actually going to pose a question and Chris can answer it first and then he can go take it whatever direction he wants. But a thought that I had during Mike's um, 
wonderful little uh, speech there was, do you guys think the staff is good at talent evaluation and not talent development? I think that's probably a way to sum this up. I'd love to get your thoughts, Chris, Brett, Herbie. I think that's a perfect evaluation, actually. I, I think, yeah, I just think that they, they do have, I don't know, I mean, and they recruit fairly well at times. I mean, the last few recruiting classes have been terrible. But I mean, at one point, we had three four-star quarterbacks on the roster, and they're all very talented quarterbacks. Um, but none of them were able to, you know, even get past their first read, right? I think that, yeah, I think that they're given the tools, and then they're just not able to um, make anything out of them. I don't know. I really think it stems from really the only positions or important positions that honestly haven't developed that well is the quarterback position. Um, wide receivers, eh, uh, offensive line. I mean, the development has been pretty good. I mean, he's lost a couple guys, but overall, I mean, the development of the players that he had and that he's recruited and none of them besides the ones that left were these highly talented recruits and he's put them in good positions and, uh, had them succeed tight ends. Obviously we know have been a big, a shining spot for us too. So I would say it's really just the offense that the developmental positions are really bad on. Um, you could argue the defense a little bit, but we didn't have a solid linebacker coach really until this year. And obviously look now, I mean, you got guys in the right positions and they're succeeding much better this year than they have in the past. So I really think it comes from the offensive side of the ball, whereas developmental issues, which is, obviously a major problem and it's really coming down to two positions in my opinion. So running backs haven't been that great either, but they've been better than wide receivers and uh, quarterbacks. Only running Um, backs that came from the portal though, not running backs that were recruited to Virginia tech. Holston's doing well this year. I'll throw that out there, but Chris, we'll, we'll keep it moving. We'll go to Chris. Yeah, we'll, we'll round that out real quick, and then I'll hop into the next point here. And uh, I would just quick caveat add, a lot of the programs that you outlined there, tremendous production along the defensive line. Um, I can't hone in enough about how much Washington, Wisconsin, Iowa, even TCU, pass rushers, defensive tackles, they come out of those programs chronically. Uh, you're talking about three-star, come sometimes even under-recruited two-star type athletes coming up through those programs. So um, to me, that is the ultimate difference maker. Um, and you're looking at perfect examples right now of, at least in this season, at least, um, just teams with dominant defensive lines coming out to a really early start and really looking good early on. And the big you know, use case of that is obviously Georgia. Granted, they have pretty much an NFL defensive line right now, and I'm pretty sure we'll see that when it comes to the draft <laughs> with a lot of their players getting taken early. But um, moving on to the next segment, I mean, you, you asked kind of betting trends. And um, we've seen some of these on social media. We've seen some of these on our own personal research. And it's kind of informed a lot of like how we should look at Virginia Tech as a program as we attempt to kind of find a position for them week to week. And we look at these matchups and kind of what makes sense uh, based off of our current understanding of this team in this moment and all the different variables in the roster, as well as past previous performance. And that's the big thing. It's it's previous performance for me. So uh, the big narrative out there is obviously, how do you bet this team straight up? And to me, if I'm looking at Virginia Tech, I'm thinking about only straight up plays because those are the ones that really make a difference overall. Um, So those narrow margin games, Virginia Tech, when the spread is plus or minus 
a field goal, essentially. So really tight games. And this kind of plays into what you're talking about, FBS opponents. My guess is that a lot of these type of games are in matchups where we're facing other ACC uh, teams or other kind of non-conference but Power 5 opponents, uh, 2 and 11 straight up against the spread. That's a that's a pretty damning stat. Um, but continuing down that rabbit hole and kind of looking at social media, um, I want to give a shout out to whoever the crab is at at HokieFan778. Um, I saw you and you posted a stat, looked into it, validated it. Um, since 2016, opponents scoring first versus us scoring first. So this isn't necessarily them scoring a touchdown or a field goal. This is just them scoring first. So this could be, even be a field goal. Uh, Justin Fuente is 35-9 and nine when scoring first. Five and 18 when the opponent scores first as 21.7%. So when you're looking at Virginia Tech overall, you're thinking about how they match up well against their weekly opponent. In this case, probably more than likely an FBS kind of similarly uh, aligned power five opponent. I think about what type of offense are they facing? So I'm looking at top scoring offenses that we face on a week to week basis. So we got obviously this week, Richmond, We'll get into that maybe probably a little bit later, but I expect us to beat a team like Richmond. But then after that, the gauntlet kind of comes out a little bit in terms of our ACC conference schedule. Um, we have uh, teams like Notre Dame, Pitt, Boston College. Granted, no Phil Dracovic, but you know they could eventually uh, uh, mature into a team that can actually put up points given some more reps with their backup quarterback. Uh, you think about even Duke. Gunnar Holmberg is actually producing pretty well at a high level there at Duke. Um, and UVA, who's lighting it up across the scoreboard right now. And you have to think about how many of those teams are likely to score first against us if, let's say, they get, they win the coin flip and they take the ball and they say, we're going to try to see if your defense is ready to go and we're going to score points. And if that is the case, 21.7% is the outcome that we've seen from this staff with this team since 2016. You know, that that's a fairly broad amount of games to think that this is a considerable trend to notice. Um, and so I also think about preparation type stats, you know, how well are we just straight up versus the, the best of the best, or just how well are we as an underdog? How well are we as a favorite? How well are we coming off as a buy? So I found some kind of backup stats to support this. So we're talking about trends that continue to support whether or not you should back Virginia Tech as a straight up money line bet. Um, so versus ranked opponents, six and 12. So 33.3% uh, as an underdog. So if you're thinking that we have a chance, but the spread might be close or what? Eight and 14. So 36.6%. Um, and one thing about that is I looked at the reality of the fact that in the last five years, Virginia Tech has been an underdog 22 times and their matchups. Um, and then last one is after a bye, which if you think about this, we're going to face Richmond. I'm not going to learn anything from Richmond. I'm going to learn a lot more from when we face Notre Dame. And so we have this bye week, three and seven after a bye, 30%. So you kind of aggregate all those together and you think about what type of program are we? Not only we're we deficient in our developmental aspect and can we bank on a week of preparation in this staff grooming this team ready to go for the next matchup, but if that matchup is close because we have a power five ACC conference schedule teams that can score at a high level, you have to look at those stats and think, you know, we are battling, you know, roughly a third 
of a predictive factor of Virginia Tech actually being able to win the game. This isn't against the spread. This is just straight up. So those are all to me kind of, if I'm looking at Virginia Tech as a team for the rest of the season, those are the things I'm keying in on. Who are we playing? What offense do they have? How much preparation has our team had? And then you kind of boil this all in and it starts to really build a picture. And then that last little component is kind of the way our offense is trending and our ability to kind of match pound for pound with these opponents. And you have to think that Virginia Tech fans should probably start adjusting expectations just based off of these trends, these historical trends, because I'm a numbers person. I have to look at these and think that there is a definite validity to it. And, you know, it's not looking good. I'll say that. I, I, I have hope, but the numbers are the numbers. And so I'll pass it back to the group here and see what they think. Well, looking forward to Notre Dame, especially, I think is a great, you know, preview. We'll be covering that in a couple of weeks here. That spread, you know, depending on what Notre Dame looks like this week and then again, Cincinnati and then, you know, Virginia Tech being at home, coming off of a bye, Vegas usually likes that overall in college football. That could be a very close spread. That could be a game where Tech is a two and a half, three point underdog at home. Very well could be. So keep that in mind as you're looking at Virginia Tech as they go throughout the year, especially considering UVA's offense has looked really potent. Virginia Tech plays on the road. You know, Pittsburgh's offense looked very potent. That'll be a big game in the coastal. Things to think about as we continue to go through the season. Guys, any thoughts on that before we hit two really quick points and then move to the Richmond game? No, you guys, not really much to say. Just sadness. <laughs> Sorry to make it a very sober <laughs> podcast here tonight. We'll get we'll get more fun as we go on. I promise. Yeah, we're bumming the people out. <laughs> let's let's move forward. We're bumming them out. Uh, just, can I bum them out one more time? By all means. Um, since 2016, Virginia Tech has five losses straight up and a 10 point or more favorite. That's that's really bad. Um, and leading into the Richmond matchup, the under is 3-0 for Virginia Tech this season. I wonder why that is, guys. Well, it's probably because Virginia Tech hasn't had much vertical anything this season. The offense is bad. That's why. The, the offense is bad. This is therapy. We're good. We're, we're talking it out. This is the group. This is the inner circle. This is the circle of trust. Well, we're here's something. I, I won't say... The offense is bad. I, I don't think so. I think the offense is good. The offense is not above average or great, and it doesn't seem to have that ability to be great. Last season with Khalil Herbert, it had that ability. They could put up points. They could just run the ball over people. It doesn't seem like they have that this year. Virginia Tech has struggled vertically passing. The you know Anything really past the line of scrimmage. I mean, in the West Virginia game, Braxton Burmeister had five dropbacks to start the game. Not one of those dropbacks resulted in a pass that went beyond the line of scrimmage to start the game. You want to look at why Virginia Tech struggled offensively in the first half. There you go. I want to hear from you guys on this prop bet that I completely made up out of my head because this really isn't on a betting site or anything, Um, especially with two in-state teams. I don't even know if betting, if sports books were even looking at it. Virginia Tech's longest pass play of the season has been 47 yards. That was Trey Turner against Middle Tennessee. Over under 46 and a half yards for Virginia Tech's longest pass play on Saturday afternoon. Under. 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 under way under, under. Under. Way under. Under. I, I mean, the only way it happens, I, correct me if I'm wrong, but that play to Trey Turner, that was a 
Was that a screen that he ran 47 yards? No, it was or a skinny post. Mistaken? It was a skinny post. A skinny and post. Turner actually made oh, a good move. Sorry. About five yards, uh, made a good move, and then got kind of in between the safeties. Uh, so it was a it was a legit good play. Made a move afterwards. Uh, I I'm going to say over, and here's why. I think there is the potential of like a wide receiver screen going for a good ways or. You know, there is the opportunity for a busted coverage or something. Let's think say, about that statement. There's a screen opportunity that's going to go for plus 50. I was going to so say, look at who the power five teams are right now and who even has a 50 plus yard play. Virginia Tech is one of the handful of power five teams that does not. So I'm that I, I have to believe that that's going to be under. I was going to say Raheem Blackshear. Yep. Yep. Raheem Blackshear making a move at the second level and nothing but clean mountain air in front of him. Uh, If if you can get Trey Turner on that skinny post that he likes to run, uh, I think back to the UVA game a few years ago, something like that. I think it could happen. Again, the fact that we're even having this conversation against an FCS opponent, a good FCS opponent, but an FCS opponent. that I think is very telling about what we've seen from the Virginia Tech offense through the first three games of the season. Second prop bet for you guys. University of Richmond setting their team total for the game at nine and a half points. Are we going over or under? Again, over. Richmond, good FCS team, but they're not JMU, North Dakota State, Sam Houston State level. Over. Yeah, I like over. I mean, 10 or seems attainable, especially if we do get a big lead and the uh, backups get in as we're seeing the game. Yeah, Gentlemen, this is still a, a Mike London coached football program. Um, that is the one thing I do believe in is the ability to not uh, essentially embarrass ourselves versus a Mike London coached program. So what hey, we did when he hey, was at UVA Chris. was absolutely just You know he's at William and Mary, now. right? We're going to have to cut I'm that. Sorry, I'm sorry. Yeah. <laughs> no, we're leaving that in. We can probably edit that out. No, we're leaving There's it in. Any, That's way too much Any work. program that Mike London has yeah, anybody ever coached that Mike before. Uh, Mike London isolate the audio. Even though he's been gone for years, this is still <laughs> his stain is still on this program. And I'll say that out loud. But I love it. Yeah, this is this is not a team that the, the defense has, to me, any problems with controlling in terms of just uh, uh, keeping it under double digit scores. So I'm, I'm good with that one. Under 10. I'm going to go over the last three te- teams that Virginia Tech has played from the FCS have all scored 17 points. Rhode Island, William and Mary, and Furman all scored 17 points. So I'm going to go over, but slightly. I would put it at about 10 or 13 or something like that. I'll say under. I think that those other games that you talked about, the defense was not nearly as good as it is now. Um, I think that a lot of fans are clamoring for the Hokies to come out motivated and uh, to kind of punch Richmond in the mouth as sort of a uh, just a vengeance type thing after last week. I don't think the offense has that capability. I just don't think that they uh, are the punching type. But the defense, on the other hand, I think that those guys play with a lot of emotion and a lot of heart. And I think that uh, they'll... uh, hold Richmond in check pretty well. And then Richmond will maybe score a garbage time touchdown. And that'll be their only points of the game. 
Well, speaking of the Virginia Tech offense, setting that team total at 38 and a half, are you going over or under? How about 10 points under? (laughs) 28 points? It better be an over. It better be an over. It's going to be under. I could see like actually like 38. That seems like a safe number actually to me. Five touchdowns and a field goal. I mean, especially how much we run the ball. Five I'm feeling down. like 38 to six or something. Being yeah. like, oh yeah, I played played well enough. Agreed. And it, it's it's tough to say that, you know, with this offense and the coach himself saying that this is not a team that blows other teams out. For me, this is a, let's beat, let's beat this opponent. Let's win the game, get into the bye week. You're going to see backups. We don't care about the outcome of the score. We just want to win the game, get people reps, and move on. So um, I'd probably lean under just because I don't think they're going to try to overwhelm and absolutely blow out an opponent. Yeah, that's the point right there. The words out of Justin Fuente's mouth. This is not a team that blows people out. I mean, I I just don't. I, you, we're just going to run the ball a lot, run the clock, you know, keep the ball out of Richmond's hands and – Score of 28, maybe 31. You see, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to zag on that. I think you could see Virginia Tech get over, and I think you could see it because of a special teams play. I think that's where you'll see Virginia. Like, Obviously, Virginia Tech will be bigger, faster, stronger throughout the game, or at least should be. But on special teams, I think you'll see uh, we've seen really good kick and punt returns so far this year. Uh, Lil Stroman, Jalen Stroman has been an inch away from a block punt a couple times. I, I think you could see a special teams play that knocks the over for Virginia Tech. And if you can't tell, I set that spread at about 28 and a half points. So if it's 28 and a half points, are you taking Virginia Tech? Quick yes or no? No. I saw a spread where Virginia Tech was a 31 point favorite. So I was I was actually pretty close there. So, I mean, with a thirty with a thirty one point line, this is not DraftKings approved, though. By the way, so yeah, let me this is not DraftKings the way. Not so DraftKings approved. I'm, I I made this up uh, yes. a couple days ago. Yeah, with the bottom half Power Five offense, I'm not even thinking about how we're going to perform against an FCS opponent. This is a win, move on, and just don't think about it type thing. So don't even worry about the spread in this game. Just stay healthy, go into the bye week, and then prepare for Notre Dame. Well, last bullet point on Virginia Tech for the rest of the show. And this really does a great job of rounding everything out. Do we see a younger player have a coming out party in this game? And by coming out party, I mean... Do they have a game where we see a guy come in in garbage time and impress? Or a guy come in a little bit earlier than garbage time because certain guys haven't been performing very well and make some plays? Do we see that, specifically at the wide receiver position? Wide receiver position, no. Uh, But a guy that I do think could have a coming out party, I'm going to say on the defense, is Josh Fuga. Uh, I think that he... He's been rotating in at defensive tackle and he's made some good plays, but I think this could be a game where, especially being how big he is, uh, I think he could dominate the line of scrimmage and get into the backfield a couple times, maybe get a couple sacks. I think you might see some receptions for some guys. Payud and Lofton, I think, will get into the game a little bit earlier than tech fans think. And and I I think that because 
I do think there is a real worry in this staff about the wide receiver position. And this is the time to see what do the other guys have? Do they have what it takes? I don't think you really gain anything from watching Trey Turner go for 74 yards receiving in this game, except for the chance of him getting injured. And then you're really in some you know trouble or Tavion Robinson or something like that. So uh, I think you could see some younger guys make some plays, but I don't think you'll see anything too big. Uh, I, I just don't think this offense spreads the ball around too much and they don't move fast enough to get enough plays in to really have one of those big statistical games. Any uh, other thoughts on Virginia Tech? I was going to say, if it's the third quarter and I do not see Knox Kadem handing the ball off to Malachi Thomas, I will be extremely disappointed. So let's just leave it at that. Let's just honestly, like you're talking about backups or you know rotational guys breaking out. We, we need our starters to do something like we need them to get some confidence to going into the bye week and then to Notre Dame. Like we need Braxton Burmeister to feel comfortable slinging the ball downfield against somebody. We need, you know, we, we need these guys to gain some confidence in the starting position to the point where Chris says we need Knox came in the third quarter. We need them to feel, okay, we can, even though this is not our toughest opponent, we're capable of doing this and we can, you know, we're able to make plays when we need to. So. I'm hoping that our starters honestly break out before our backups. That's just me. All right, guys, we're going to move along into our picks against the spread for college football this weekend. It has been a phenomenal start to the college football season. Upsets everywhere, big games happening, but it's also been a great start to the NFL season, and it's only getting better at DraftKings Sportsbook. It's the official sports betting partner of the NFL, and DraftKings is kicking off another week of action by giving all new customers a can't-miss offer. Bet just $1 on any football game this week and receive $150 in free bets instantly, no matter what. And this football season, all customers can swing big with DraftKings same-game parlays. Same-game parlays allow you to combine multiple bets for a bigger payout. We love parlays on this show. We might even have one at the end with our personal cards. This week, if you place a same game parlay on any NFL game on DraftKings Sportsbook, you will be credited up to $25 if your bet loses. It's like insurance for your bets. It's amazing. DraftKings is a safe, secure, and reliable site. And the best part is you can deposit and withdraw your cash whenever you want. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use promo code SOS to receive $150 in free bets instantly when you place a $1 bet on any football game. That's promo code SOS to get $150 in free bets instantly. This week at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official betting partner of the NFL, must be 21 or older, Virginia only, new customers only, restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com slash Sportsbook for details. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem, call the Virginia Problem Gambling Helpline at 888-532-3500. All right, boys. Big game off campus. I don't like that it's off campus. I don't like that at all. It is in Chicago. Wisconsin is minus six and a half versus Notre Dame. This is a big game nationally. Notre Dame's still undefeated. They're doing kind of that Notre Dame thing, but Notre Dame has a big schedule coming up, and this is not the team that you want to start with. You talk about a physical, hard-nosed football team in Wisconsin. This game, again, in Chicago at Soldier Field, it will be 
at noon on Fox. The over-under is 46 and a half. Robert, kick us off with Big Noon Saturday. Uh, Yes, Big Noon Saturday. Well, if you like ugly football, I think this is your game. Like if you watch the Clemson-Georgia game where no one scored a touchdown offensively and you thought, man, this is awesome. Like this is how football should be played. I really think you'll get a kick out of this one. Uh, I see this as a very extremely low-scoring game. Um, Notre Dame's defense is talented. They've been inconsistent at times. Giving up 38 points to Florida State wasn't great, uh, but their offense has also been fairly inconsistent. Uh, Meanwhile, Wisconsin's defense has looked really, really good. Uh, It's kind of been their offense that's kind of been lagging behind, especially with Graham Mertz under center. Uh, He's really struggling. So I think... Wisconsin wins the game here, but I see six and a half points on the road as maybe just a bit too much. Um, I think Jack Cohn, Jack Cohn has kind of been that bright spot for Notre Dame. Um, he's played really well, despite, you know, his team as a whole, not looking great. I think he'll do enough to keep the Irish in it. Um, I, I, I think Wisconsin, uh, wins the game outright, but Notre Dame will cover. Um, and I would again, hammer this under, uh, I, I really honestly see this as something like a 14 to 10 win for Wisconsin or something like that. Like, I just don't really trust either of these offenses. Uh, and I like what they can both bring to the table on defense. And this is just going to be an ugly, cold, run heavy football game. I'm on Notre Dame here. Um, I, I think this really comes down to which team runs the ball better. Honestly, I, Jack Cohn's been good for Notre Dame, but the offense as a whole has definitely been inconsistent. The defense has been even more inconsistent. Um, I really, uh, the reason why I'm on Notre Dame here is because I am concerned about Graham Mertz in this football game, guys. Like Notre Dame, like, like Irby mentioned, in the opener against Florida State didn't look particularly good. Notre Dame's defense the last two weeks has looked much better. I think the players are starting to get used to Marcus Freeman's new scheme in South Bend. Um, and in addition to that, there are just a couple of new guys um, at each level of Notre Dame's defense. Uh, it doesn't give me a lot of hope for Wisconsin when Paul Chris comes out and kind of, you know, he was asked about Kyle Hamilton this week as an All-American safety. And he goes, ah, I mean, he's good, but we're not really... You know, we're worried about looking at everybody, not just like one particular player. It's like, all right, well, I mean, are you dismissing one of the best safeties in college football? Like, what are what are we doing here? And I, I just worry about Graham Mertz making a couple of crucial mistakes. And this is kind of one of those redemption type games for Jack Cohn, too. If you think about this, I mean, the reason why Jack Cohn is at Notre Dame now is because Wisconsin elected to go with a youth movement last fall. Um, when Cohn wasn't fully healthy and named Graham Mertz the starter. Mertz is one of the highest rated recruits that Wisconsin has ever had at quarterback. But outside of the opener last year, he hasn't really looked the part yet. And I worry about Mertz in this game. And and I just think Notre Dame has a bit more balance offensively. And I think they're going to be able to run the ball a little bit better than Wisconsin is. Notre Dame's going to be geared up for Ches Malusi and Wisconsin's rushing attack because I don't think that they're going to believe that Graham Mertz can beat them through the air. And so that's why I'm going to go with Notre Dame here. Not only do I think that they could cover here, I think they could win the game outright. Yeah, 
I mean, these are pretty similar teams. I mean, trend looking at trends, Notre Dame's two and four in their last six against the spread. Wisconsin's two two and five. Uh, I mean, this this game's a toss up for me. I'm going Wisconsin here. I I don't think Notre Dame is really that good. They as people were saying, I think they're kind of hanging on to what they did last year. Jack Cohn, obviously huge for them this year to get him to be able to help that offense, but they're only averaging like a little over a hundred rushing yards a game with Kyron Williams, which I was pretty shocked this year. I mean, I knew Jack Cohn could throw the ball, but I didn't really think they'd be heavily relying on him. So, and I think Wisconsin's going to defense is going to be able to stop Jack Cohn from throwing the ball so well, like he has in the last, uh, I guess, three games, maybe get pressure. If they can get some pressure on him, I think it's going to spell a lot of trouble for Wisconsin. Um, six and a half points is a lot. Um, i I bet on it when it was five and a half, so I'm just going to just roll with it, and I'm just going to go with the six and a half as well. Um, I like the under here as well. Uh, another interesting stat that I have written down, Wisconsin is 17-2 and two in their last 19 games in September, while Notre Dame is, where is it? It is 6-0 and oh in their last six games in September. So both of these teams like to start out hot and early. Um, Wisconsin always plays better in – it seems like in the early games as well, especially when they have big matchups. Uh, the weather on Saturday, I just lost it. I got to find it. Um, if it's not cold and rainy, I don't want to hear about it. Yeah, no, I got to find I just had it. On Saturday, it is 70 and sunny. I knew it was good weather, but I didn't want to say like 80 because I knew it wasn't going to be 80. And That can't be right. So what it says. I can't be right. It says Saturday. I can confirm 70 degrees. 70 degrees. So, I mean, it's a beautiful day for pretty much a Big Ten matchup. Um, so, but I'm still rolling with Wisconsin here. Uh, I'm on a heater right now, and I've been going with my gut. So, I'm just going to keep rolling with that. You are on a heater, both personally and on the Locks of Saturday show. You are leading the Locks of Saturday with a record of 10 and 5 against the spread. Phenomenal job on your part. So I'm going to feel kind of dumb, but I'm just going to go against you with my gut. I'm going to go Notre Dame. I think, you know, they haven't been winning impressively, but they've been winning. And I have two bullet points written down for this game. First one, speed greater than power. And we've seen that with Wisconsin a few times where they struggle against these more athletic, rangy teams. And that's what Notre Dame brings to the table, both offensively and defensively. And then Jack Cohn revenge game. I like that narrative, Jack Cohn revenge game. I think he's actually been pretty good this season. He hasn't been their issue offensively. It's been kind of run blocking with the offensive line. I think if they can air the ball out, they can use their speed and athleticism to beat Wisconsin straight up. And I, I've been hurt by Notre Dame twice so far this year with the Florida State game and then the Toledo game. I had them both covering and got hurt with those. Um. I don't, there's no way they can hurt me a third time. Right. So I'm going to go, I'm going to go Irish to cover the six and a half. And I, I think they'll actually win the game as well, which is a, it's an ACC adjacent win against a big 10 team, ACC adjacent. No, it's not. I'm calling it ACC adjacent. They play ACC teams. It's going to look better for tech. If Notre Dame wins this game. This is the ACC. We use the word tangential. So the, the, this is an academic conference. So we, we want to raise the the academia here. So part of the alliance. Uh, yeah. So is go. Notre Dame technically in the alliance? That's a good question. No, they're not. They were purposely left out. 
Yeah. It's juicy. Juicy, juicy yeah, drama. Notre Dame, Notre Dame is not ACC anything. Let's stop right there. They are ridiculous, to put it kindly. But I'm going to go with Wisconsin here. Um, not super confident in Notre Dame based on what I've seen so far. I don't think they're anywhere near as good as they were um, you know, the last couple of years. I, I think there's a good chance Virginia Tech's playing a two-loss Notre Dame team by the time the Irish get to Blacksburg. Um, I yeah. kind of felt that way all year. I'm going to stick with it here. I do think Wisconsin is um, iffy at best offensively. Um, I'm not super confident in this pick either, just based on the size of the spread and the style that this game will probably be played up. But um, I like Wisconsin's defense. I like Wisconsin um, as a more consistent performer and program. Um, I'm just also just not a big Irish fan. And I do think that they roll into Blacksburg um, with two losses, which will still be a huge game for the Hokies. But I'm going to ride Wisconsin here. All right. Well, I'll round it out here. And I agree with all the points. I do think that these teams are kind of mirror images of each other. It's that age-old Spider-Man meme where they're kind of looking at each other and both are flawed offensive teams. Um, they have flawed offensive quarterbacks. Um, so for me, I kind of zoomed out just a little bit more and I looked at kind of what does a Brian Kelly prepared team look like versus a you know Paul Christ prepared team. Um, so last four seasons, kind of aggregating that together. Um, since 2017, Wisconsin, 33% straight up against ranked opponents. Um, and they're actually trending worse. So in the, the, the more recent years, they're actually worse. Um, and then Notre Dame, 58% and trending better. They're actually been better over the last few years, just straight up. So you're looking at teams like this. I looked at the number six and a half. Um, that's kind of high for me. I think this should be a closer game, neutral site. It's close to South Bend. Um, this isn't going to necessarily be a road game, quote unquote, for Notre Dame as much as this for Wisconsin. Um, and then Wisconsin defense looked at it, pro football focus, um, a little bit overrated right now. Granted, small sample size. Uh, they did play Penn State to start out the year, so at least I had one good data point there. Uh, but currently overall, in terms of like overall grading, 93rd overall, we expected Jim Leonard, defensive coordinator, to be kind of leading a tough Wisconsin offense. But uh, grading out across the defensive categories, they're not necessarily that strong. Notre Dame, um, you would think with the loss of, of um, uh, the previous coordinator down at Vanderbilt, but now they have Marcus Freeman. They haven't necessarily, uh, excuse me, uh, performed what we would expect to be, uh, obviously, with a high-scoring game. Um, against Florida State, and then they uh, back that up with a close win against Toledo, but currently 25th, so there's a pretty big gap there. Um, I do think in a neutral site game, the defenses will speak volumes, um, and especially the difference between the run defenses, because um, we talk about these being two prominently run-focused offensive teams. Um, Brandon Notre Dame has thrown the ball a little bit more than we expected, but uh, Notre Dame is 41st overall. Wisconsin is 65th overall in terms of rushing offense, according to PFF. Um, I do think this is one of the things where, like, Notre Dame went on the road early to Tallahassee on a Sunday night, played a highly emotional game where Florida State had all their chips kind of pushed into the middle of the table, and they won a highly emotional overtime game. And then you come back, you have a close, close, closely contested game because a team like Toledo and everybody, including the public, is kind of off Notre Dame at that point. Um, and then what did they do last week? They kind of normalized a little bit. They beat, as they should, a Purdue team 
uh, who we don't think Purdue is a dominant team, but they are a power five, you know, opponent. Um, and you look at that and you think, okay, the narrative now is that Notre Dame is not as strong as it should be. Wisconsin is. I didn't necessarily see that when they played Penn State. Um, I think this is a close rock fight. I don't know who's going to win. Um, so I'm not going to look at this the money line on this game at all. But Notre Dame plus six and a half to me is the value here. Um, you got to just believe in the fact that at this point, Brian Kelly and his staff has a probably better chance at preparing for a better scheme and strategy than Paul Chris and his staff. So uh, my pick is Notre Dame plus six and a half. From one game that could potentially have not a lot of points to a game that should have a whole lot of points. Missouri is traveling to the Northeast. They are two-point favorites at Boston College. Again, a Boston College team without star quarterback for Djokovic. But they still have a lot of skill players. Zay Flowers, one of them, and a defense that is coming along in Jeff Halfley's scheme. This game will be at noon as well on ESPN2. The over-under is set at a pretty large 58 and a half, but I like the over for that one. Irby, does the ACC pick up another SEC win here? Uh, I'm going to go with no, but I will say I do love that this, that these games are happening. You're basically seeing every mid-tier ACC team play one of the mid-tier SEC teams, and this is just this is just great mediocre football. It's awesome. Uh, so yeah, I do expect both these teams to finish middle of the road in their conferences, and I think that at least going into the season, I would have picked Boston College here. Um, honestly, no matter what the spread would have been. Uh, but because as you all know, I was very high on them during our Atlantic preview pod. But uh, Phil Djokovic being out is just so brutal uh, for Boston College. I mean, he was just everything um, to their offense. And honestly, I feel like even the defense would feed off of them, off of him as well and his energy. Um, and Boston College looked really really bad last week against temp against temple with a Dennis Grossell out there. Uh, I mean, you can look at the score and say, Oh, they won 28 to three. But I think if you look a little bit more into the details of that, that's almost, almost seems to me like a statistical anomaly that they won by that much. Um, temple actually outgained them, uh, in total yardage and ran 12 more plays. Um, like looking at the statistics, temple also won the turnover battle. Like, if you just took away the score and just look at looked at the stats, like you would think that Temple would have won the game, or at least would have been within you know three touchdowns. Uh, I think Temple was really let de- let down by going three for fourteen on third down, one for four on fourth down, and having eleven penalties. Uh, but back to Boston College, Grossell he went five for thirteen with only thirty four yards passing. Uh, I mean, that's guys, that's really bad. I mean, really, really bad. I mean, I feel like at least half of us could go out there and face Temple and throw for more than 34 yards. I don't know. It's just me. Uh, maybe not me, but I don't know. I know Chris has a cannon, so. Uh, I, can throw it. I can throw it clear over the mountains, so don't worry about it. All right. <laughs> if Coach would have put him in, they'd have been state champs. Uh, so I don't think Missouri's that great either, um, but I actually kind of see this as a pretty easy win for them. Um Connor Basilek, uh, that's how you pronounce it, right? Perfect. Uh, getting nods. So Connor Basilek has nine passing touchdowns already in three games. Uh, he's lighting it up, and I see him ripping this Boston College defense that is, even though they are improving, they're still one of the weaker ones in the ACC. 
Uh, Grossell won't come close to being able to keep up. I, I see Missouri winning this by 14, maybe even 17 points. Fellas, this is my lock of the week. Ching. I'm surprised you're locking in this one because it is kind of a, you know, we're looking at two teams we don't know a whole lot about. We don't have a lot of data points for Boston College, especially with the new quarterback, Mike. Yeah, it's a pretty easy one for me. I'm on Missouri. Um, I saw Dan Grozel play Clemson in person in Death Valley a couple of years ago, and in the stands, I declared him the worst quarterback I've ever seen, which is a little harsh because Clemson had a really good defense, but. I had a few beers, so who's to say? Um, I'm on Missouri here because I just, Basilak is a pretty good quarterback for Missouri. He flies under the radar a little bit because he's young, but uh, he's going to end up being a pretty good quarterback for them here in the next couple of years. And uh, again, like Irby said, I would be on Boston College if they had Dracovic, but without him, they lose a lot of their offensive production. And that's not just throwing the football, that's running it as well. He does a lot for them. And I don't think we necessarily saw how big of an impact that loss is going to be for them last week because Temple is so bad. Um, But I think it's going to start to crop up against some of the better teams on their schedule once they get into ACC play. And Missouri is one of those teams in the SEC that, uh, again, very similar to Boston College and that they'll be kind of a middle of the road team in the SEC. Uh, You know, a team that does have some talent on the defensive side of the football that can expose some of the flaws that Boston College is going to have without Dracovic playing quarterback. So, yeah, I'm on Missouri here on the road. Two point favorite feels a little bit low, Um, but I, I think more of it has to do with the uncertainty with Boston College at quarterback. That's just a really hard bet for me to wrap my mind around, even at home. I just have a really hard time backing the Eagles when I know that Grossell is just such a significant downgrade at quarterback from Dracovic and they've just lose so much of their offensive production. So I'm, I'm going to go with Missouri here. I said before we recorded, if there's a team I know nothing about in the power five, it's Missouri. And I guess they just got buried. Like I said, into the depths of the sec. I just know nothing about them really. And the quick research that I've done, I mean, they're averaging 500 and, 513 yards a game or something crazy like that while reading and without Phil Dracovic, I mean, yeah, I mean, more of the same for me. I think I'm just going to go Missouri just because I know what Boston college doesn't have. And Mike, you saying uh, that BC's quarterback is the worst quarterback he's ever seen. Uh, that kind of, I guess just solidified me just the following suit here. Um, yeah. So I'm going to go Missouri here. I'm not going to throw any actual cash at this game. I don't really uh, know what's going to happen, but I'm going to go Missouri here just because I'm just going to still go off my gut. So, Well, I think that's a good pick. I'm on Missouri as well. Guys, I won't talk too much about it. You said it. Missouri has the better quarterback. I think they're the better team. They're more battle-tested. I think a seven-point loss against a really good Kentucky team is nothing to be ashamed of. Boston College simply just hasn't been tested physically this year. They might have the easiest schedule so far of any any power five team they've played Colgate UMass and temple. Those are two of the worst FBS teams in UMass and temple and uh, Colgate. So yeah, I'm I'm gonna go Missouri. I think Missouri can win this one by a touchdown. I think Boston college will keep it roughly close just because they are going to be a pretty disciplined team. And I think that defense is getting better, but uh, I, I like Missouri in this one. 
Yeah, I'm not going to waste too much time here. I like Missouri here, too. I'll take a SEC team coming into a quarterbackless Boston College uh, any day of the week. Um, I almost think I would take any SEC team in this situation, Boston College, without Dracovic. Um, I kind of feel bad for him. I'm going to go with Missouri here. I hate this because we're all on Missouri, and so I'm looking at it because – Absolutely, from a player personnel standpoint, Missouri has all the edges here. I do believe, truly, from a coaching standpoint, Jeff Halfley is a much better coach than Eli Drinkovitz. I just, I have to believe that. Um, so I do believe with Sam when he said that Boston College will keep this game incredibly close. Um, I just don't think they have enough reps right now for the backup to be able to come in and actually be able to um, gear an offense that can, in this game, win the game outright because a plus two-point spread for them, you have to be able to bet on the fact that they're just going to win the game if you think they're going to cover. Um, So I am going to take Missouri begrudgingly because I do think this is a coin flip game. Um, But I will say that uh, one other thing that hasn't been talked about is I just think from a schedule standpoint, Boston College, I do think they might be looking ahead a little bit to Clemson next week. So this game being a non-conference kind of get through it game, just get reps, get your kind of team developed a little bit more, get your quarterback a little bit more comfortable. Um, that was the tipping point for me was just that um, I do believe that the, the the game this week is more of a tryout for this scheme for next week versus Clemson, which is a game that matters much, much more for them. So with that, I'm, I, I don't like either team. I'm holding my nose and I'm just taking the fact that Boston College doesn't have a quarterback on the scale of which Missouri has just kind of an overall better offense. So give me Missouri, give me the, in this case, the money line, not even the minus two. So, yeah, you know what? I'm, I'm going to lock, I'm going to lock in Missouri minus two minus two is just way too small of a line. I'm locking this one in Boston college. uh, Not yet, not let, not yet. Jeff Halfley. He also asked for, uh, he wanted early tailgating and a loud stadium. And if there's two things that you're not going to get at Boston College, it's fans that give a darn about football or fans that are even allowed to tailgate. I'm not sure that he knows the uh, rules at Boston College yet. I don't know if anyone told him. I actually put this down in my notes. Uh, Late September noon kickoff in Chestnut Hill, which will be higher, the total points or fans in the stands? Ding. Prop bet. I, I love that prop bet. More, uh, than I, UVA's foot, more than a UVA spring game. New England also has a home game. The Patriots are playing a home game on Sunday. Yeah. So there's not a shot anyone's at that game. No. And it's a nooner. I mean, come on. That's egregious. Egregious. All right. Let's move on to something a little more, uh, uh, with a little bit more spice to it. The Texas A&M Aggies are just trotting into Fayetteville. Minus five and a half favorites against the Arkansas Razorbacks. Arkansas does have that big win against Texas. Feeling pretty good. This game is the CBS game of the week at 3.30. Cue the music. Can't play it because of copyright, but you know what song I'm talking about. Over under for this one is a little bit lower than I expected. It's at 47 and a half. Irby, your thoughts on the Aggies and the Hogs? 
leave it to the SEC to stump me with another line. I swear. I feel like every week there's one game where I'm just like, ah, I go back and forth on it. And it's always an SEC game. Last week it was Alabama and Florida. And I obviously made the wrong pick in picking Alabama to cover that one. Uh, but man, I feel like the safe pick here is A&M just because they are um, the more heralded team. They're the more experienced team. You know, they've been in a playoff uh, position before, maybe not getting in the playoff. Um, and they do have a really good defense. Um, but at the same time, they just haven't looked really that good at all this year. And Arkansas is kind of peaking at the right time. Um, I do think that Haynes King being out is kind of the difference maker here for A&M. Uh, Zach Calzada is is shaky at best. I mean, I we've talked about it. Other places have talked about it ad nauseum, but he's just not. He ain't it. Um, he's not the kind of guy to lead A&M to a playoff. Um, and for Arkansas, KJ Jefferson hasn't looked great either at quarterback. Um, but I do believe that he's better. And I think that he kind of fits what they want to do better because he's actually the guy that they believe in. I think that it makes a big difference when you're a backup coming in there versus, you know, your coach actually believes in you to go out and win games, which is the case for Jefferson, uh, Arkansas, what they do really well is run the ball and A&M's rush defense, even though A&M's defense has been, uh, heralded all year long their rush defense has actually been pretty vulnerable they gave up over 200 yards on the ground to kent state week one um and colorado also uh ran all over them to stay in the game um and against texas for arkansas they ran for over 300 yards and dominated the pace of that game um and that's that's how they took down texas pretty pretty handily um, I don't necessarily see that same result happening, but I do think that they will run the ball well uh, against A&M. I think they'll control the pace. I see Arkansas getting ahead early, and I think that that'll make it really difficult for A&M to cover. Um, I'm not really bold enough to pick Arkansas outright, um, but I do think five and a half points is a favorable enough spread, especially when you consider they are playing at home. Um, so I like Arkansas to cover here, and uh, I think I like A&M to win. Not sure, though. I like Arkansas as a home dog. I'm there as well. And not enough to lock it up, though. <laughs> I thought about it, but not enough to lock it up. Here's my rationale here. Um, Irby hit on the points with uh, A&M's rushing defense being a bit a bit vulnerable and Arkansas really being able to run the football. Um, that's something I had in my mind as well here in this game. The other point I want to bring up that Irby touched on briefly is Zach Calzada being in the game, right? Instead of Haynes King and Calzada is not very good. It's one thing to rip up inferior competition like A&M did against New Mexico. It's another to play against a competent SEC opponent on the road and expect the same result. And I have a hard time seeing Calzada go on the road in that environment and have a ton of success. Uh, offensively through the air. And I, I worry about AM in this game throwing the football. Um, Arkansas put Hudson Card through hell in the Texas game a couple weeks ago. Put him through hell. I mean, the, the defensive line absolutely abused Texas's front. I, I wonder if Arkansas will be able to do the same thing against AM's offensive line. I mean, I think that's the million dollar question here. If they're able to rush the quarterback with the same type of success, 
I think Arkansas is going to be in a really good position to win this football game. If they're not able to do that, then I think AM is, is going to be able to win a tight game on the road. But I think it really comes down to the ability of Arkansas to get after AM with the pass rush and really make Zach Calzada's life difficult in the pocket. I think if Arkansas is able to do that on a consistent basis for four quarters, they can not only cover the spread, but win this game outright. But I'm going to go with Arkansas to cover on the road and just be safe with that. Or I'm sorry, cover at home and just be safe with that. I'm not sure if they're able to fully pull off the upset because I really am not sure if they're going to be able to really have that pass rush um, on Calzada for four consecutive quarters. Jeez, sorry, it took uh, took a minute, but what what I was uh, gonna say is what a lot of people don't realize actually isn't this game at Arlington? Isn't this game in the uh, in Cowboy Stadium? Who is it in Dallas? Oh, yeah, it is. This is not at home. It's in Jerry World. Yeah. So which and, and one thing that might, we dropped the ball on that coaching one. in this game. Yeah, I didn't Mike want to interrupt anybody, but I was I was like desperate rapidly searching. I was like, <laughs> I swear to God, this game was it in Arlington. We've really been dropping the ball tonight, guys, honestly. But uh I think this game's in Arlington. So for me, that changes a few things on hammering Arkansas because I do think that environment um with Sam Pittman at coach it has really brought some life back into that program after several bad coaches I think Arkansas had. I think that program can get back to where they were in their Derrick McFadden years um, under Sam Pittman. That being said, uh, this is like a home game for Texas A&M, and I think this game is re- going to be really freaking close. I think Texas A&M's defense is really good. Obviously, they've only allowed, I think it's like five point something points per game. They're the fewest in college, which is – uh you know, it says something, especially, and I think Arkansas is probably going to go in there and think they can score some points to Texas A&M. They're not going to. Um, Texas A&M is just – I think they're just the more athletic team here, even without Haynes King. And they get, the fact that the game's at Arlington, I think, at Jerry World, I think Texas A&M can get it done by a touchdown just off the sole fact that Arkansas might not score any points. I think Texas – I think University of Texas, I think they're not very good. I thought B. John Robinson was going to run all over the place on Arkansas. They suck. They're not good. I don't know how they beat you, uh, you, uh, Louisiana Lafayette. I, I thought, I think everybody jumped on the bandwagon too quick after that. Uh, Texas is still not that good. Arkansas is better than people I thought they were going to do this year, and I think they're trending in the right direction. Texas A&M, just on all fronts, I think is better than them, minus the quarterback position, which granted is an important position, but I mean, if you hold a team to seven points, I think they can still get it done um, by a touchdown. So I'm going Texas A&M at Jerry World. That's my fault, guys. I knew that and just I was on a roll to start that. Yikes. Yeah, I'm, I'm going Texas. All right, A&M. Sam, we'll forgive you. Yeah, thanks, guys. Thanks. Uh, I, I'm going Texas AM. If this was in Fayetteville, I was going to go Arkansas by a little bit to at least cover this spread. Um, but it, yeah, Texas AM, are they going to be electric offensively? No. Uh, you know, regardless of where this game's being played, this Texas A&M team actually reminds me a lot of the vintage Virginia Tech teams where the defense is absolutely dominant and they have players all over the place. Offensively, they're better running the ball and they have a couple of elite skill guys, but overall, they're not going to put up a ton of points 
They're just not built like that. I, I don't think they have the consistency offensively. Um, I I think this is a good Texas A&M team that they can maybe, when we get to mid to late October, if they can figure things out offensively, I think we can still talk about this team as a potential playoff team because of what they have defensively, because of what they have in the backfield. Uh, I like Texas A&M in this one. I thought this was going to be their trap game. Uh, it has potential still to be that trap game, but last minute, last minute, I'm going to go with the Aggies. If you can tell, I am not locking this one in. This is going to be a phenomenal football game regardless, I think. Yeah, I'm really excited for this game too. Um, it, we've been a little shaky tonight. We got Mike London coaching in the Arkansas game that's not in Arkansas and you know what I'm gonna back up I'm gonna back up the Mike London thing. If Mike London has touched your program, that takes down your program. It's a fact. He's frozen in time. Wherever he (laughs) coached when you first learned about his name, that's where he coached. And he's just a stain upon the program as long as you go there though. So as an older hokey fan, Mike London will forever be the University of Richmond head football coach. And if you haven't learned about it, he was also a state trooper. I don't know if you ever learned about that. He, his ghost still haunts the hallways of the University of Richmond Athletic Department. That's for sure. <laughs> Ed, <laughs> go back to this game. <laughs> well, back to this game. Um, A&M hasn't been all that convincing for me. They've got all the talent in the world. Uh, and I know everybody, you know, loved them. Um, Last year, they were solid, you know, borderline playoff team. Uh, I, I just don't know that they, they've got it all fixed and replaced, uh, especially at the quarterback position. Uh, you know, there were question marks going into the season anyway, how you replace an NFL caliber quarterback. And now there's even more questions as they're on to their backup uh, following that injury. So I'm going to go with Arkansas here. Um, Arkansas surprised me. They looked really good. Um, that stadium for that Texas game was rocking. And it's kind of unfortunate this game is not in Arkansas because I feel like that'd be another fantastic environment as well. But um, I'm going to go with Arkansas here. I thought I think KJ Jefferson's played well. Um, no, not a world beater or anything like that, but I think he does fit what they're trying to do, um, as is already mentioned before. But I'm going to go with Arkansas and KJ Jefferson. I think he'll be able to weather the storm um, and handle the Texas A&M athletes uh, enough to cover and win this game, lock it in, boys. That's a scorching take. That is a scorching lock, but Ed's been pretty good on his locks so far. So, uh, whew. All right, Chris. I, did, I had to take I've been terrible there. everywhere else, but I've been okay on the lock. The, the lock it in kind of made me take a step back. I had to, like, rethink myself because I just gave a lock on a, uh, a plus five and a half Arkansas team there. But um, uh, for me... I started out looking at the action on this game um, across multiple different uh, forums. You saw it start uh, probably around, I think most people was plus five and a half plus six. I actually saw it dip down, assuming this is for Arkansas to uh, plus four and a half. So I do think there was some early action on Arkansas. Um, it has since course corrected back to plus five and actually be minus five and a half for Texas A&M. So for me, I just started thinking about what's the narrative going into this game? Like, why are people publicly perceiving this game to be this this way? Um, and it had to be 
Texas A&M hasn't necessarily looked dominant. They played a, what was it, a three-point game, I believe it was, uh, versus Colorado, a game in which the quarterback essentially had a horrific leg injury and they had to essentially reinvent themselves uh, on the fly, on the road. Um, they ended up winning the game, which for me, great teams win on the road in those circumstances even more so. Um, and Arkansas takes Texas basically behind the woodshed and just destroys them in a home game. And so you think about like what is influencing the line of this game. Um, and I ultimately landed on the fact that Texas is not back. All right. They're not a program right now, which they can go on the road on an SEC schedule and dominate teams. They were to me a flawed team going into the Arkansas game. And Arkansas just basically just exposed them for what they are a team that cannot defend the run. And in this game, Texas A&M can defend the run. And uh, I believe uh, Mike early before pronounced his love for defensive coordinator, Mike Elko. And I'm shocked that he's going against that right now. I'm believing that Mike Elko isn't just, just staying sleeping on his couch overnight and scheming up uh, a shutdown of the Arkansas rushing attack. Um, but does he I, coach quarterbacks? That's yeah. The he does not coach quarterbacks, but you know who does Jim Bo Fisher. And so the fact that Zach Calzada has had at least one data point in between the, the time where he had to basically just flex into the game. He's had a tune-up game. Jimbo is known to be an offensive scheming. I, I want to say genius, but he's essentially a, a strong offensive minded coach. Uh, similar likes to like a Dan Mullins kind of thing. They're kind of on the same scale to me in terms of like SEC caliber offensive minded coaches. Um, so I have to believe that he'll have him ready to play in this game. Um, but I also went to the trends because um, I want to back this with facts. Um, Texas A&M, uh, 6-0 against the spread as an away favorite. This is somewhat of a neutral site game, but it is technically an away game for both teams. Uh, but with that, they have a 16.8 margin of victory, plus almost 10 points above the spread. Um, and then you look at Arkansas in that same time frame, um, uh, margin of victory against ranked opponents. This is under Sam Pittman for the last few years, uh, excuse me, last year and the first few games this year, minus 13, minus 9.2 respectively against conference opponents. I just don't believe that they're ready to play SEC caliber opponents, SEC level talent. Texas A&M has had multiple classes with this coaching staff in place where they're able to accrue talent, develop them and coach them up to the level of, what they need, of which they need to perform. At games like this, this is in Jerry land. Um, I just believe that Texas A&M is better built for this moment with the better staff uh, that had time to be able to kind of build and develop a scheme behind it. Um, give me the Aggies, give me the points. I am nowhere near to locking this in, uh, but I just do believe that given all those variables, give me the Aggies. What is it? Horns down. Don't find me. Let's go. <laughs> and uh, this is my favorite game of the week. I, I'd agree that this is probably the best game of the week, and it's a great matchup as well. Um, they need to stop playing college football games at neutral sites. Uh, unless it's a postseason game, it needs to be played on a college campus. It's it's ridiculous. I don't want to watch a game in an NFL stadium. I can do that on Sundays. Campus. Oh, my God. Well, they especially need to quit doing it in the middle of the season. So when I see on the scorecard, it says Texas A&M at Arkansas. I can safely assume that it's actually at Arkansas. I don't care that 
Jerry went to Arkansas. I don't care. I, I want this game in Fayetteville. I am angry about that. Well, let's move on to a game that will be on campus, and it will be in front of a raucous crowd. The Clemson Tigers are 10-point favorites, trotting in to Raleigh, North Carolina, to face Tuffy the Third and this podcast's second favorite ACC team, the North Carolina State Wolfpack. This game will be at 3.30 on ESPN. The over-under is set at 47 and a half. NC State hurt us in Starkville against Mississippi State. They, they personally hurt us. Irby, the question I'm asking you is how forgiving of a better are you? Yeah, uh, I don't know. I mean, they, they looked so pathetic against Mississippi State. I, I don't know if I can keep them as my favorite team uh, on this podcast. Can't speak for the rest of you guys, but that's just me. I don't know. I just feel like this is the kind of spread where uh, no matter what, if I'm wrong, no matter who I pick, if I'm wrong, I'm going to look like a complete moron. Uh, just with it being at 10 points, that's just like the perfect amount of like, if Clemson covers, you're like, oh, they took care of business. And if they don't cover, it's like, wow, NC State kept it close. And no matter what I pick, if I'm wrong, not going to look good. Speaking of not looking good, uh, Clemson's offense, like they have serious, serious problems on offense. Uh, their offensive line, I mean, is downright pathetic. I mean, seriously, I don't even know if I would put them in the upper half of offensive lines in the ACC. Um, I mean, DJ has no protection out there. They're getting no push at all in the run game. And it honestly seems like Tony Elliott, um, as well as he has done as the offensive coordinator at Clemson, um, he hasn't quite figured out how to best use DJ. And his skill set, that is a very different skill set than what Trevor Lawrence brought to the table. Um, I mean, they've got Will Shipley out there now and he actually played pretty well against Georgia tech, scored two touchdowns, ran for 88 yards. But I mean, I honestly think that he's the guy now because he's the only one on the team that has both the elusiveness and the field vision to, you know, be facing defenders behind the line of scrimmage every single play and not lose yards every time. Uh, that was kind of Travis Etienne's specialty was getting hit in the backfield and still gaining eight yards. And that's why uh, I think these offensive line issues that have been kind of plaguing Clemson for a few years haven't really come to light until now. Um, so, yeah, I, Clemson has some pretty serious issues on offense that they need to figure it out. Um, but I don't trust NC State at all. After that, after that horrendous Mississippi State game, I don't trust them whatsoever. Um, and looking at all these different variables – and inconsistencies. Uh, the one thing that I think we can all agree on is that Clemson's defense is really good. Uh, so good, in fact, that they have not given up a single touchdown all year. The only touchdown that's been scored against the Clemson Tigers all season was a pick six uh, that Georgia had on DJ. So, I mean, that's just insane. Clemson's defense, I mean, I, I just don't know what state can do here. Like, can state even score two touchdowns? I, I, I don't see it. And 10 points as a spread is a lot, especially on the road. Um, given Clemson's offensive struggles, I think that, that they're still getting that based on reputation. Uh, but I do think that the defense will do enough to keep the pack at bay. Um, and ultimately, 
Clemson is too talented to keep playing this bad. Um, so I see Clemson winning this one by two or three touchdowns. Sam. Yeah, what's up? Sound ready, buddy. Hope you have the sound ready. We're locking up Clemson. Locking up Clemson. Wow. Oh, that poor dog. Locking up puppy. Listen, a few things here. Number one, I'm not trusting Dave Doran in big games. Sorry. Not doing it. Can't do it, won't do it. Uh Dabo, I'll trust in a big game all day. I'm not I'm not trusting Dave Doran in a big game. Um secondly, Irby really hammered. He's been taking all my points tonight, just going right right in front of me, but he's right on the money again with this one. NC State looked totally helpless against Mississippi State's front, and Clemson's defensive front's better. And even without Tyler Davis, that's a pretty big injury for Clemson on the interior. But um, Clemson's still got a really talented defensive line, best defensive line in the ACC, I think. And I have a really hard time seeing NC State run on Clemson's defensive front. Clemson's offense has been horrific. Yes, we we all agree. It hasn't been very good by Clemson standards. Just not very good. Um, DJU has struggled. He's not even completing 60% of his passes. They really miss ETN, not only for his rushing ability, but for his receiving ability. Lynn J. Dixon just transferred out of the program. Like it's not, it's not perfect in Clemson right now, especially on the offensive side of the ball. But if there's any unit I'm going to trust to figure it out, it's Clemson's offense, right? And I think, and I will say that I think Clemson has issues this year on the offensive side of the football that are different from any other issues that they've had on the offensive side in recent years where we're like, oh yeah, they'll just figure it out. It's better. No, I, I do think the issues are a little bit more far reaching this year because the offensive line, like Irby mentioned, has not, um, has never been elite or like re- even like really, really good. They've always had like a good offensive line, but the playmakers have always just bailed them out. DJU isn't running the football um, as much or as willingly as some of these other Clemson quarterbacks in recent in recent years. Um, DJU is a lot like Taj Boyd in that he'll run when he has to, but he's not like a willing runner, I guess. Um, you know, Kelly Bryant was run first. Lawrence was a really good dual threat quarterback that everybody wants to talk about how great his arm was, but his legs were every bit as good. Um, and Deshaun Watson, uh, same thing, really good dual threat quarterback. DJ is a little bit more timid in the running game. And I think that he needs to be a more willing and able runner for Clemson to really unlock the next stage of their offense. But the one certainty in this football game is Clemson's defense. And I have a really hard time seeing NC state a run the ball well enough to open up the passing game. And B if the running back, uh, Bam Knight is slowed down. Can Devin Leary beat Clemson's defense with his arm for four quarters? I don't, I don't see it. So I'm rolling with Clemson. I think they won this game by a few scores, and we're locking this one up. Tough to follow up those two. Jeez, that's uh, that's hard. But uh, I'm not locking this game by any means. Uh, this is a really tough line, like Irby said, 10 points, 10-point dogs at home. Against a Clemson team, that's obviously really struggled. Uh, but I'm going to stay with the points here, guys. This is uh, – they're walking into a Hornets nest year, and – it's not an easy place to play, uh, play in Raleigh. For some reason, NC State always seems like they get the big teams in there. They used to always have Florida State's number. They've played Clemson tough every year except, was it last year or the year before when they put in Skalski for the extra point to uh, – or like the – or the was it the extra point or like the two-point conversion just to rub it in their face. 
Um, I just happened to be scrolling through Twitter and I saw Mike had commented on it. There is bad blood between Dave Dorn and Davo Sweeney. Forgot to um, mention that they hate each other. They really don't like each other. Um, and I, NC State knows that. Like the people of NC State, I have seen it on Twitter leading up to this game. I think it's going to be a similar situation to when North Carolina came into Blacksburg. Um, do I think NC State wins this game? No, I don't think they can. Um, but I mean, I think they're going to play them close. I think even though the defensive front of Clemson is obviously the best in the ACC, and like they said, NC State struggled against Mississippi State, who has a average SEC front. Um, that's going to cause some issues. But I mean, Georgia Tech only put—I mean, they only put up 14 points in Georgia Tech. Georgia Tech should have actually almost won that game. They went to the red zone twice and pulled a Virginia Tech and didn't score either time. So sorry. Sore subject, but it's what happened. We said we wouldn't talk about Virginia Tech anymore. Yeah, sorry. yeah, too soon, too soon. Sore subject, it happened. Sorry, but uh, I just like as you say, the points here. I'm a big Wolfpack believer. I think this is the best team Dave Doran's honestly had since he's been there. Um, Mississippi State was pretty shocking to me. I just don't think I, I don't I don't want to jump the ship too early at NC State, and I don't want to jump the ship too early on Clemson either. But like NC State in the points here. It's a tough place to play. seems like they always have teams' numbers when they walk in there. Um, now, especially if this was a night game, I think I definitely would be more confident. But uh, I like Clemson, uh, NC State in the points here. Guys, if there's one thing that I've noticed for the first three weeks of college football this season, it is that home field advantage is officially back. Teams are having their moments at home. That it is so, It is so obvious watching, especially the big games, how much a home crowd can impact a football game. You saw it with Virginia Tech and North Carolina. Then you saw it with West Virginia, Virginia Tech, not to bring up a sore subject. I think you also saw it when North Carolina State went to Mississippi State and played in front of those cowbells. That game got out of hand really quick for NC State, and they, they just couldn't get back into it. I think with the way college football is going right now, it is pointing me towards NC State having a moment in this one. This is NC State's moment game, and I think they have it. I, I like them at home. I like that crowd. DJ, we saw him play. He played really well at Notre Dame, and that was in a like half-capacity crowd, but ended up making too many mistakes late in that game. I like NC State here at home. I even... You can tease it to yourself. Think about it. Think about NC State money line here. Think about it. It might be worth the risk considering what we have seen in college football so far this season. Now, to go along with that, some more quantitative numbers. NC State's 4-1 and one against the spread in their last five games, and they're 6-2 and two straight up in their last eight. In, and in those last eight, they are 7-1 and one against the spread at home in their last eight home games. Clemson, on the other hand, is one in four against the spread in their last five games. I, I don't trust Clemson right now. I, I don't think they are as dominant of a program right now as we are used to seeing them. I think they're in a bit of a lull. I don't like their receiving core. DJ is, is not, he's not feeling good as a quarterback. They need a bye week. They're not in what they call championship mode yet. They're just not in it. They look sloppy. They look disorganized. 
They don't have that killer instinct offensively. Yes, they've been very good defensively, and they were phenomenal against Georgia. Then they played South Carolina State and Georgia Tech. Those are two very bad football teams, especially Georgia Tech right now. Doesn't look good at at all. I like NC State here. I would even think about NC State money line. I'm not going to lock NC State money line. I'm going to have to. Uh, I'm going to have to be real. Sick, I'm going to have to be feeling really good about that one. But I'm not giving up on NC State yet. I think they have the players who can make plays. They will not be scared of Clemson coming in there. And I think the home crowd makes the difference. NC State plus ten. Uh, it's, it's too many points. Too many points for me. Go Wolfpack. I'm Ill. yeah. I've never been on the. Uh... I've never been on the the NC State side of this podcast. I don't understand it at all. Um, as bad as Clemson has looked offensively, I, I, what are we doing here? This is this is Clemson. Um, yeah, their offensive line is not very good. I don't think it matters. <laughs> I don't know that NC State like could even score ten in this game or will score ten in this game um, against the defensive front that Clemson's trotting out there these days. Um, the Tigers figure it out. DJ figures it out. Uh, it's the Shipley show in the backfield now with Lynn J. Dixon gone. Um, yeah, no, nah, I'm uh, the NC State thing. We got to put this to bed. It's, oh, this oh, is all Clemson. Okay, I understand the whole oh, Clemson will figure it out. But you think you think that in Raleigh and a big game against NC State is the game that they're going to figure it out? Not been at home against yeah. Georgia Tech. I mean, yeah. you're saying that they're going to beat NC State on the road by more points than they beat Georgia Tech at home. Yeah, I mean Georgia that's Tech what Clemson does. Though game than this, this is NC State's not a trap game anymore. Like they're a decent enough program where Clemson has to at least like not take a nap during film session. Um, and it being on the road with the environment, it's going to be Clemson's going to actually be fired up a little bit for this one. Um, Georgia Georgia Tech was kind of a sleeper. And clearly they were asleep, but I, I don't know. I, I like Clemson to figure it out in this one. I like it. It's a, it's At least a they nice have a cute dog. At least they have a cute dog. I'll give them the dog. <laughs> they have two cute dogs. They have one that retrieves the tea as well. I, I feel like this is going to split the locks here because I'm going to side with the side of NC State here. This is an NC State podcast, guys. Did you, you didn't get the memo before we started, but um, I agree. Um, Clemson isn't a team that somehow figures it out and get rolling. They have been rolling for the last almost better half of a decade. So the fact that we expected them to see that during Georgia Tech, who's an incredibly flawed opponent last week at home when Dabo tried his best to run a 4-5-40 to start out the game, it didn't happen. Um, so I just, I just don't see them on a – normal week being able to go in and completely just kind of all of a sudden realize, oh, we're Clemson. We should start rolling people by more than double-digit scores. Um, on the contrary to that, NC State, I looked at it, just they're still a very sound defense. They're still only allowing, I looked it up, third down conversion, excuse me, third down conversion rate, 21.3% uh, in terms of allowing opponents to convert on third down. This isn't a Clemson team that showed me that they are efficient enough in terms of sustaining drives. So this is a team, Clemson, that is that just I don't believe that they'll be able to continually sustain drives 
scoring drives all the way down the field because they haven't proven to be explosive like we all assumed that they would be. Um, another one is just NC State has also been pretty strong in terms of not allowing the opponent to convert in the red zone. Um, 60% right now, both of those uh, conversion rate on third and down and conversion rate in the red zone put NC State in one of the top 20, top 10 type defenses right now, um, especially when you add that element of them being at home. Other than the UNC game at home at the end of the year, this is their Super Bowl. This is their division. Uh, this is the biggest game in this circle at every beginning of the year. Um, I just have to believe that this is NC State's biggest game. Um, they're going to be ready. Their fans are going to be ready. It's going to be a hostile environment. And if Clemson was a normal Clemson, I look at this and think that, you know, the spread should be higher. So the fact that it is at 10, it's begging people to take Clemson. Um, so that just, just for me, double digit points. I have to take NC State at home. I'm not confident in. I almost thought about locking it in. Uh, if it was a little bit higher, I probably would. Uh, but 10 points seems about even um, in terms of what I would expect the outcome of this game to be. I don't think it's going to be a blowout. Uh, so, in that case, just give me the home team, give me the points. Sam, you hit the nail on the head. How many dog double digit points have we seen? not only cover, but win outright at home this year. That's a trend. I'm going to put my money down on it. I'm not confident, like I said, but I'm just going to go with the trend and see where it goes. Give me the wolf pack. That's good stuff. This is one of the first, one of the first games all year that we have really been torn on as a podcast and just kind of in polar opposite directions. Let's talk about some other games from across the country. Maybe not the big ones. What are some games that you have on your card Real quick, rapid fire to wrap us up tonight. I'll go first. Uh, first of all, I didn't lock any of these picks today. Um, it was hinted on the locks of Saturday Twitter. Uh, my lock of this week is Florida State money line against Louisville. Um, there's just, I'm sorry, there's just no way Mike Norvell loses a fourth game in a row. Louisville's not very good, um, as we've seen already. And there's just no way Mike Norvell loses the, his fourth game. I think it's a, I think it's a pick them almost on the money line. I think it's I think that line seven. stinks. Yeah, just I got Florida State at plus a hundred. I think it's a pick them almost. So um, that is my lock of the week is Florida State my, at plus one hundred on money line. Uh, I also have Rutgers plus twenty at Michigan. Uh, I think that's I think unfortunately that line is screaming people to take Rutgers. So that's what scares me a little bit. But Greg Shano's 3-0. He's got the people rallying behind him. He's got America rallying behind him for some reason. He's got it's like he's got the spirit of Tony Soprano right behind him. Who who knows what's going on here? But uh yeah, at Michigan, I'm not sold on Michigan. People are buying Michigan, and I'm like, I, I still don't I don't know why. I, Michigan really hasn't showed me anything absolutely spectacular yet. Yeah, they beat Washington, who lost to Monmouth. I've said this on the podcast already. You beat you also an SES team or you're competitive with an SES team. Congratulations, I guess. I don't know, but I don't. I just <laughs> Rutgers plus twenty. Uh, then I got uh, two more. Um, I got UCLA minus four and a half at Stanford. Uh, I think people just got scared of they already if, um, after losing to Fresno last week. Fresno's a good football team. Uh, obviously, they've shown they've been competitive with Oregon. They beat UCLA. They're making their case if the Pac twelve sticks around for them to make a bid at the Big Twelve. I mean, sorry, not the Big 12, the Pac-12. Um, if there's some shifting in conference play, I like them. And then I also like Michigan State minus five against Nebraska. What are we talking about? Nebraska has been better. They lost to Illinois still, 
who didn't really have a quarterback that could throw the ball and they've ran on the whole time. And Michigan State has legitimately the best running back in the country right now. Um, he's averaging almost 200 yards a game. And I said it on Twitter earlier, he has 372 yards after contact. I don't think there's a Virginia Tech running back that has 372 yards right now. So um, I think. No, no, no. No one is even remotely close to like 150 yards. Yeah, no. So, <laughs> yeah. So my point is Michigan State, I said it last week, they were going to blow through Miami's defensive line and defense with Kenneth Walker Jr. Um, he's going to do it again this week. I think this guy has a real shot at the Heisman. If he keeps winning at Michigan State, he's winning. This guy's pretty insane to watch. Um, so, yeah, Michigan State minus five, UCLA minus four and a half, Rutgers plus 20, and my lock is Florida State money line at plus 100. I got a couple uh, Friday night action uh, rolling here. I, I, I like the Friday slate this week. Um, so, first, I've got Charlotte minus three at home against Middle Tennessee. Um, Charlotte. They looked terrible last week. They only scored seven points against Georgia State. However, that was on the road. And uh, Charlotte is still, we'll say, a growing program. And they tend to have a actually a pretty strong home environment. Um, they're averaging just under 35 points a game at home so far. Uh, meanwhile, Middle Tennessee State, uh, Bailey Hockman has left the program. So that that is a program that is in a state of disarray. Uh, I, I like... Love it, baby. A club, I like club lit Friday night. I think that that, I think the fan base is really going to be showing out uh, as someone who lives here. I mean, there actually is some sort of general buzz about the program for the first time. I don't know ever. Uh, so I think a three point spread is far, far too, uh, far too low here. Uh, I also like Wake Forest plus four on the road at UVA. I still don't think Wake Forest is getting the love they deserve. They've been nothing but solid all year. They're not the prettiest program in the world. Um, UVA, I mean, they won, maybe won the hearts of so many uh, after Brendan Armstrong threw for half a mile against UNC, but I still don't think UVA can run the ball well enough. And Wake Forest is actually forcing a lot of turnovers. Um, I think they forced, I had the number earlier, it was either six or seven interceptions um, so Wake is is um, forcing quarterbacks to make mistakes. So I think that they'll force Armstrong into a mistake or two, and uh, UVA is pretty one dimensional after that. So, and then my last pick here, I've got Western Kentucky plus nine at home against Indiana. Uh, Indiana has turned out to be a pretty uh, subpar team compared to what we thought they were, uh, Michael. Uh, yeah, that's a that's a it's <laughs> a less political way to put it. Uh, yeah, Michael Penix has just not been able to take care of the ball. He has six interceptions already. That's two a game. That's terrible. Um, meanwhile, Western Kentucky. This is actually an eight p.m. game on Saturday. Uh, so I don't know how often Western Kentucky's had a home night game against a Power Five opponent. But I would imagine whatever fan base Western Kentucky has, I don't really know much about them. Uh, I would imagine they will be in full force. Big Red, who is the greatest mascot in sports. If you don't know who Big Red is, go ahead and Google him. Uh, this is just going to be one of those games where I don't know if Western Kentucky wins it outright, but they're going to keep it close. Penix is going to make some mistakes, and uh, they're going to make an, another Power 5 team look not great. 
since he played so bad last week and they still won by two touchdowns. Exactly. I'll continue with just a little bit uh, overlap with Brett's picks. I, I also love Rutgers three touchdown, pretty much underdog against Michigan. This is the type of game where we've seen it over and over again. Michigan led Harbaugh teams going into these conference kind of slates, just they consistently underwhelm. Greg Schiano has Rutgers with a little bit of juice right now. They're on the road. Yes, I know, but I just believe that they can cover a three touchdown spread. Michigan hasn't really played anybody. Yeah, they say they had Washington. We've now seen Washington kind of, they are what they are, not a great team. Uh, so I do believe that Rutgers can at least cover that spread. So that's one game that I like a lot. Um, another one, no one's mentioned it yet. I actually kind of like North Carolina on the road versus Georgia Tech minus 13. Um, I do believe that Virginia Tech is the luckiest program on the planet for getting them week one um, because North Carolina seemingly came awake in the last couple of weeks in terms of opening up their offense. Um, in terms of explosivity, I just I, I they're going to face a different type of opponent when I say that. I mean, Georgia Tech, in terms of like they went and played Clemson last week and their lack of explosiveness. North Carolina, exactly the opposite. I do believe that North Carolina will be able to win that game by two scores. And then last but not least, for me, for our, our late night fans, um, pay attention to who the starting quarterback is going to be because I do believe the two different teams will roll out. Like I said, this is the Jackson Dart fan podcast for USC. Uh, so I do believe that if Keaton Slovis at home in the uh, Coliseum starts versus Oregon State, I do think that the Trojans will get out to a slower start and that will probably provide some window for Oregon State to keep the game close because they just, for overall right now, um, they're kind of a team in flux. Obviously, they fire their head coach. Uh, that's probably the reason why I took a two-week hiatus and kind of circled the wagons and try to figure out uh, what I need to do with my life in terms of picking games here, considering I had USC as a dark horse for college football playoff. Um, but if you did watch... Jackson Dart played football last week. And if he is available to play football for the University of Southern California Trojans this week, he he just provided a shot in the arm for this team. Absolute gunslinger. I love what he brings to the program. I love what he has actually been able to just provide a stimulus for that offense and the true spirit of the Graham Harrell kind of air raid type offense. Um, so if he plays... Uh, I do believe that minus 11 at home spread, they'll blow that out of the water. So it's a if or type game. So pay attention to that game time decision because I do believe that they're trying to remain that close to the best right now. Uh, so we'll remain toward probably like a Friday type decision of whether or not he's going to start. Uh, so Keaton Slovis, go against the Trojans. Jackson Dart, enjoy the money. That's my pick. I love that. I'm going to keep it a little West Coast as well. Guys, Utah State plus nine and a half. You can book it right now. They're hosting Boise State. Boise yep. State, I love my Broncos. I love Boise State. They're just not looking as good right now as you would like them to look. Uh, they had the disappointing game against UCF last week. Uh, they played a mediocre Oklahoma State team and just couldn't score enough. The defense played well. They just couldn't score enough. Lost by one point at home. Utah State are looking very good. Uh, they were eight and a half point dogs against Air Force on the road, beat Air Force outright. They are plus nine and a half at home. Take Utah State, take the Aggies in this one. SMU, 
Not a great showing against Louisiana Tech. Needed a Hail Mary to win, but they are nine and a half point underdogs against Texas Christian. The battle for the iron skillet, I believe. This is a big rivalry game. It is a nasty rivalry game in the Dallas-Fort Worth area. SMU won the last meeting between these two. I like SMU in the points right here. Uh, Brett, you said Florida State. Love Florida State in this one. I have them plus two and a half. I'm going to keep it at that because I can't imagine a little bit of heartbreak at the end where they lose by one or something like that. UNC minus 12 and a half is what I have them at against Georgia Tech. I think UNC is on a roll. Uh, they are going to score a billion points and Georgia Tech will not score a billion points. And then I like, once we get to this point, fading really bad teams just feels like a good strategy. BYU is minus 22 and a half versus South Florida. South Florida is horrendous. <laughs> yep. They lost by 45 to NC State. BYU is on a roll. Zach who? Zach Wilson, I don't care if he's playing for the Jets or what because BYU looks like a really darn good football team yet again. I like BYU minus 22 and a half at home in Provo. Never bet against BYU in Provo. Don't, don't get do it. If I don't care. Zach Wilson last Sunday, he didn't really look like he was playing for the Jets yet. He's still getting warmed up. We still don't know sure if he's 100% the starting quarterback there because that was an awful performance. But I'm not sure if I he's get the sentiment. Like football at this point. <laughs> I don't know if he's going to walk away from the program, such as the um, Brewer and and the Hawkman this last week. But all right, Mike, what do you got? Well, I got I got one more. Oh, go! Oh, I got one more. Wyoming minus twenty nine and a half at UConn. Oh, you you shatter it. <laughs> Wyoming's well, playing really good well, football this well, year, and they're well, finally healthy. Well. This is the first year Wyoming's been healthy in like three years. We're finally getting things together. Craig Bull has a good program running. He just hasn't had healthy guys. He has healthy guys. You cannot tell me that UConn can keep it within 30 against a good Wyoming team. Yeah, fade UConn. That Where is yeah. UConn traveling this year to play college football? Are they going to go to South America? Are they going to play a game in Antarctica? Like who's on their schedule? They are traveling globally almost across the world right now. I feel like they're playing absolutely everybody, but absolutely fade UConn. Fade you got those paychecks so they can actually recruit somebody, right? Well, I don't even know who who pays who in this scenario. I mean, Wyoming's traveling across the country. Uh, this game is is in um it's, it's in, in stores. stores. Okay. Well, actually, it's in East Hartford. The stadium is in East Hartford, Connecticut. The campus is in stores, Connecticut. But Connecticut's the size of like a a small county in Texas, so it doesn't really matter. The only way this is going to be a fair game is if they play on ice skates in the old Hartford Whalers arena because there's no way that Wyoming is not (laughs) I would still take Wyoming. If this game was on ice, I would for sure take Wyoming. (sighs) Sam, Sam, I I love the Wyoming pick, but... On principle, I can't take it seriously because you said I have one more, and then you start chuckling before you even announce the pick. So on principle alone, I can't take your Wyoming pick seriously, even though I probably will bet it. You guys said all these picks that I really like, but here here are the five that aren't on the board outside of, I guess, Wyoming at UConn. Um, BYU minus 23 against USF or 22 and a half, whatever the line moves to. Um, I hammer BYU. I mean, are you kidding me? South Florida, like Sam mentioned, is absolutely terrible. They're a bad football program and they're Jeff Scott. It's not going to get better anytime soon. Uh, Brett, I think you mentioned this one, Michigan State. 
uh, minus five at home against Nebraska. I mean, Nebraska is better than what we saw in week one, but this isn't a really good football program by any stretch. I mean, they're, they're improving, but Michigan state looks so good right now. They got balance at quarterback and at running back that we haven't seen at Michigan state really since they went to the playoff. I mean, it's been a while since we've seen a competent Michigan state offense. Now they have running back and quarterback seemingly figured out. I love Utah state plus the points against Boise. I love wake plus four at UVA. I love UNC on the road. Um, whatever you can get it at, uh, take it. I mean, this is a UNC team that's firing on all cylinders. Um, and a Georgia tech team that, you know, while they played well defensively against Clemson, I think that there was a little bit of Clemson not playing great offensively and a little bit of Georgia tech being, you know, a veteran defensive team that, you know, kind of just figured them out and sat on the ball and was able to cover the spread with, with North Carolina. I mean, I just, this is the time of year where Carolina offense with all those playmakers that they're breaking in starts to figure it out. I mentioned that on the, on the week one podcast, when we were picking tech and Carolina, I thought Carolina would be a much better team in late September, early October than they were going to be on Labor Day weekend. I think we're starting to see that. So I love Carolina this weekend as well. It'll be a fun weekend. Hopefully, Pokey Twitter is feeling a little bit better about themselves next week than they are right now. Any final thoughts before we log off for the night, boys? I know Brett has one last thing to say. I got a couple. I'm going to throw Ed's picks in there just real quick because I know he wanted to give them to us before he hopped off. He's got App State minus seven against Marshall. Um, he's got LSU minus two and a half, and he's also got Maryland. And then he says, yes, I know, I know. Like, people think he's going to think he's dumb, minus 14 and a half. Uh, my last final thought is I forgot to mention that I'm going to release my Kansas Duke pick that I have to watch all day on Saturday afternoon at 4 o'clock. Um, it's Duke minus 16 and a half. I'm going to hammer that. Kansas is really freaking bad. They stormed the field against an FCS team. Uh, Duke looked actually really freaking good last week against Northwestern. Um, I said Northwestern was a lock last week against Duke. Gunner Gunner Holmberg actually has managed the ball very well. Somehow he has only two touchdowns with 800 yards, but I don't know how he's done that. But he uh, he's looked pretty good. Uh, Kansas guy's just really bad. They're already talking about basketball. I mean, they talk about basketball all year. I don't even think they know they have a football team. Uh, Yeah, I'm going to have to watch that whole thing. So wish me luck. If you have any drink recommendations, please let me know. I think it's well, once take- again apologize for my Mike London Richmond College for pop it would say it, but uh it won't be complete until he actually coaches for James Madison, Norfolk State, VMI, William and Mary, excuse me, in Hampton and just completes the FCS Virginia complete circuit. So and, and until he coaches all of those, just just stick with me. But we we can just think of him as coaching every single one of those teams. And as I think a reminder, UVA wise is the most uh, is the terrible. most likely next destination <laughs> UVA wise. Yes. Oh man! And also remember the uh, Texas A and M Arkansas game is in Dallas. It is not in Fayetteville. Just remember that out there. All right, guys. I mean, technically, it's in Arlington. Te- oh my goodness! Whatever. <laughs> All right, guys. That's going to wrap it up for this week's pod. Thank you so much for tuning in. Thank you so much for all the Twitter interactions. Follow us at Locks of Saturday. You can follow the entire Sons of Saturday multimedia conglomerate that is being built uh, at Sons of Sat 
VT on Twitter. Guys, thanks so much and enjoy your weekend of college football. Go Hokies. Oh, no.